You're listening to Builder Funnel Radio. This is the Building a Family Business Show with Wes and Brooks Powell. Let's dive in. The Powell family construction business has been around for over 110 years. Over that time, it's evolved and been through four generations of the Powell family. What started as a new construction business building spec homes in the Seattle area evolved to building communities, remodeling, building custom homes, and then getting involved with property management. Today, the business currently owns and operates two retirement and assisted living facilities, several apartment buildings, and does third-party property management in the Seattle area with about 750 total doors under management. Over the last several decades, Wes and Brooks have seen it all when it comes to business evolution, family dynamics in the construction industry. This is the show where I work to extract their knowledge and experiences to help you navigate family dynamics, among other things, in your construction business. Let's dive into the show. Hey guys, did you know that 72% of client unhappiness is directly attributed to a lack of communication during projects? The team over at BuildBook has solved that problem once and for all with a tool that keeps all the conversations and decisions between you, your team, and your clients in one place. Their simple, powerful app helps you create daily logs, schedule and manage your client tasks, keep track of selections, process change orders, and so much more. I met the BuildBook team in Vegas at IBS earlier this year, where they were chosen as a finalist for the most innovative construction tool of 2020, which is saying a lot considering how many tools are actually out there. If you're looking to remove the stress from your projects, make your clients happier, and increase your profits, they're offering a special deal to all Builder Funnel Radio listeners. Hit pause right now and text BUILDBOOK to 33777 for a free trial of the software plus 45% off the first year. There's absolutely no risk to try it. So go ahead and hit pause and text BUILDBOOK to 33777 to take advantage of the trial and score the 45% off. This deal isn't available anywhere else. So I recommend at least trying out the software. All right, let's dive into today's show. Hey guys, and welcome back to Building a Family Business here on Builder Funnel Radio. This is episode 24 and joined by the usual crew, Wes and Brooks, although Brooks is on the road this week. Brooks, where are you these days? I am in Moab. We've been on the road a couple of weeks, heading uh, south and kind of went down through Cedar Mesa, and worked our way back up here. So we're kind of working our way back to Seattle. So we'll be on the road for another week and a half or so. Very cool. And in one of the adventure vans, right? How, how's yep. that thing set up? <laughs> it's set up pretty well. We could get four wheel drive so we can get pretty much anywhere we need to get to. And, you know, we're really kind of limited just by how much water we carry. So if we can be out four or five days before we have to kind of hit somewhere where we can reload for fresh water and stuff like that. Yeah, so it works out pretty well. Nice. Isn't it cheaper if you got a three-wheel drive van? It is, yeah. But, um, you know, me, I like to get everything I can get, so I got the four-wheel drive. Yeah, yeah then nice. The next yeah. thing, now that I've determined, I'm going to have it lifted another two inches, put on some bigger <laughs> tires and wheels. <laughs> I mean, when you get down into Moab, the competition is fierce for who has the baddest van. Oh, I bet. I bet. It's very Do, do you also need to like haul a trailer behind it too? Oh, or you should haul a trailer with two razors. That's the other yeah. thing. I mean, ah, what what you need to do, Brooks, is, you know, the new Ford Bronco has come out and you can apply the Sasquatch package yes. to the new Bronco. That's what you need to do to your, your van. 35 inch tires. Yeah, uh, I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> 
might have to modify the wheel wells, but yeah, just oh yeah. So that's your metal cutters. That sounds like a 2021 project. Yeah. It's a 2021 project. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's cool. Well, we appreciate you uh finding a good Wi-Fi spot uh for making this happen. And, yeah, uh, absolutely. Glad to do it. So Wes, you know, it was funny, we were getting ready to do this episode and and then you stumbled into an article that uh, was on a, a similar topic, but we'll use that as our segue. We're, today, we're going to kind of dive into why you should be building your business to sell, but uh, what ran across your desk? Oh, uh, yeah, sure. So anyway, we've got the local newspaper just had a nice article in the business section here. Oh, looks like a week or so ago. Anyway, just said local home builder, national company buys Keller Homes, local home builder has built 4,000 homes in Colorado Springs and has been seeking an exit strategy for months. So I thought it just kind of highlighted, you know, we're always talking about positioning your business for sale and things like that. But here it said, you know, the owners, a couple, and actually I have met them many years ago. They probably don't remember it, but they've been looking for an exit strategy, according to the article, for 37 years. Wow. Yeah. And I think it highlights some of the difficulty that you can have when you are building a company and looking to exit that it's just not that you can throw up a for sale sign and, you know, two months later, you've got a buyer and and you can exit. I mean, that could happen, but I think that would be rare. Here it says, you know, they had a news release that has a, you know, Keller Homes has a great reputation after nearly four decades in the Springs. And they do really a, a top notch builder here. But the Toll Brothers team, will enable us to continue to expand our operations in Colorado. So you often look at, you know, there's two sides to every equation. So why are you selling, but why is someone buying? And, you know, what are the motivations on both sides? It's interesting. They're, they're keeping on the founder, Dave Keller, and he's going to work under a contract for two years um, to help make that trans, you know, pretty usual sort of thing, make that transition nice and smooth. It allows all the employees to keep working there. Many have been with the company for decades. And then they have subcontractors who have been with them for, you know, I think some of them have been there all 37 years that the company has been around. But on the flip side of it for Toll, it's the article says that they acquired the rights to buy more than 300 lots in the market area. So, you know, they're buying the opportunity to be in the marketplace without having to build that organically because Keller Homes has done all that work in advance over many decades. So, you know, they'll keep the same branding for now. Little changes provides a lot of continuity. So looks like it's a real win-win-win, good transaction. I thought it was just a good example of, of what a lot of people are starting to look at as their company matures and they're successful. It's, you know, okay, but what is what happens after I can no longer do this or no longer want to do this? What happens to everything that I've built? Yeah, so... Brooks, you're you're not in the Colorado Springs market, so hearing you know what Wes kind of recapped there, and not knowing a ton maybe about Keller, you know why do you think it was so tough for them to find a buyer for you know 30, 37 years that they were hunting? You know what? Well, what probably your- there would be a couple of things. One is that you know for thirty seven years they've been looking, but really they probably haven't been looking seriously for the last till the last four or five years. When you're like, oh, I really want to exit the business. How do I cash out? How do I, if for home builders, it's, you know, how do you get out of warranty? Because, you know, warranty goes on for a long time in different states. I don't know what the laws in Colorado are. Uh, it's, you know, eight years, you know, you know, liability in Washington state. So warranty is one issue. And I don't think they were looking 
first 37 years, like I said, I think probably the last four or five years are like, ah, oh, we're getting ready to retire. How do we do this? The best way in a home building business to sell out is you got to be big enough. You have enough size. You've got to be, uh, you've got to have a land position. So Toll really bought the 300 lots. The operations, you're told every public company is known for, we'll buy a company, we'll buy the land position, everything's going to stay the same, quote unquote, and then they just bring in and they make it a toll operation, which is just fine. And you know that's the, probably the best situation for all the trades and for all the employees. And the sellers, the Kellers, will probably have gotten some, they would have gotten some cash and they would have gotten some toll stock. You know, which may vest over it may some of it would be vested immediately, some might be vested over several years to keep Keller motivated as he works through his contract and makes that transition. But the founders quickly move on because they're like, Oh, there's some, you know, vice president with who's 23 years old with an MBA out of uh, where you know, New Jersey, wherever Toll's based, who's now telling me what to do. So it doesn't last long. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and that's a good point, Brooks. Uh, I was thinking about. Spencer's grandfather and my father-in-law, when he sold his direct mail company back in the 80s, he sold it to a holding company. And in that case, he had a five-year contract to operate the business. And what he found was that like most people that develop and build their own companies, it's really hard to take marching orders from somebody else. And what he found was that the buying company really didn't know anything about his business and was making moves that didn't really work for his business because they came out of a different space altogether. So what looked like an easy exit turned into a situation where he said, well, you know, this really isn't working that well. I'm actually going to buy the company back and keep operating it. So in this case, you know, obviously Toll has their systems and they're in the space. So that's a big positive. So that'll, that'll be just fine. It'll be great. But it does come back to it's harder when you're the selling, the selling party, most likely to operate for a long time for somebody else if you're used to uh, doing everything just the way you like to do it. Sure. What, you know, and, and either way is right or wrong. It's just uh, what your style is. Selling a home building business is totally land, typically land-based, and you have a system. Selling a remodeling business is totally different because most pe- there's not a recurring revenue stream to purchase because you're, you know, Every year, it's like, well, I've got to go and find 20 more kitchen remodeling jobs. You're not going to, if you get a customer, that customer's not coming back month over month, year after year. It's, and so that's where most remodeling companies really struggled. And how do you sell a remodeling company to an outside company? Like, a, you know, there's, I don't even think there's any public remodeling companies. There's a couple, I think, coming from the tech side. But otherwise, I don't think there's any public remodeling. We should check on that. But there uh, might be more in the handyman space. I think there's, you know, definitely some handyman brands. I see some handyman brands, national or or regional. Yeah, you'd uh, have a recurring business where the uh, you worked for so and so, and that's. But those volumes are so low. I mean, and and there's no barrier to entry for a handyman business. Anybody can start a handyman business. So the on the remodeling side, you know, we should talk later just about probably you're looking more at somebody who's in the business working for you, who has the aptitude, who could do a, a buy, you know, a, a buyout over several years or something might be more reasonable. I think really the only way, well, there's not the only way there's nothing, nothing's absolute, but I, I, I think lots of times when you're 
when you're looking to, or you're thinking about how would I sell my company or what would I actually be selling? You have to think of what, where is the value? And as Brooks pointed out, with a building company, it's usually in the lots or the land position. For a remodeling company, as I would think about that, I would think that your value would be around your brand. You know, so brand could have some value. The other thing that could have some value would be your systems. Absolutely. And so I think systems are core to having something of value in a remodeling company when you go to sell any. So you have to think about what all the different systems are. So, you know, my sales system, my marketing system, my production system, my warranty system. So all of those types of things can, uh, should be systematized. And if you haven't thought about that before, one of the great books about that, do kind of get the general gist of it is Michael Gerber's E-Myth and E-Myth Revisited. So, and, and a lot of folks have read that, but it's a, a great way to think about systems as opposed to, I just have one person that can do this job. I think, you know, Spence, you said your first, one of your first questions is, should you always be building your business to sell? And I think the answer is yes, because that helps motivate you to create systems, create value, because you're going to spend, if you're putting all this extra energy and effort, then you want to be able to capitalize on it at some point when you exit. Otherwise, you might as well go work for somebody else and let them take all the risk. Because if you're not adding value, creating equity, net worth to your balance sheet, just go work for somebody else. Yeah. Or, and, and you have less risk. Yeah, I think that's a great viewpoint. A way to look at it is that if you're always looking to build to sell, then you're always going to be maximizing how you do things in the best possible way, because that's the only way you can create value, right? So if you're going, well, I want to maximize the value of my company, even if I never want to sell it, if you think about it from that lens, then you'll always be looking to maximize the efficiencies of your systems and the effectiveness of your of your systems. Well, and I would imagine too, I mean, if you really get everything super dialed in, you may be in a spot where you're only working a handful of hours in the business or on the business every week if you've got all those positions filled. And so you may find that, oh, I don't want to sell anymore. But to your guys' point, if you're always working towards that, then you have options is, is what it seems like. That's a happy thought. Yeah, it is a happy thought. And I'm like, what the heck are you talking about? How's that going to happen? Yeah. Was that not what you're saying then? (laughs) Well, I I think think it is the holy grail, right? It is the, you know, and people always, oh, you know, I only work five hours a week or whatever it is. But honestly, if you're building your company and shaping your company, you are always going to be working pretty hard at your company. And that doesn't mean that. You can't create something where you can be pulled out of that and somebody else can go into that position and be effective and still maximize the value. But once again, if you have no systems and the only way the company runs is you, then you haven't really created any value. No, there's, yeah, I think if, you, if, if you're running your business and you take a week off, this is a great test. You just take a week off, you take two weeks off and you come back and you see how well things ran or didn't run. And there's a good test. You're like, oh, we don't have any systems here. Right. Or, uh, yeah. And you could press that test, right? You go to three and four weeks and, and even yeah. six weeks and where you're actually out of the business for those periods of time. And, and if you have good systems and it runs and you come back and, and you know, the roof is still on the building and, and everything seems to be okay. And then you have done a good job with your systems. Yeah, that's a good point. I remember going to a lot of Remodelers Advantage uh, events and met Paul Winans and he talks about that a lot yeah. where he would take 
four weeks or six weeks. And, and that's how you know, you know, you come back and you're like, oh, everything's kind of still cruising along. And maybe there's a few questions or, you know, a few things that need to be addressed when you get back. But yeah, that's a, a good test. Another book before I forget, I know you mentioned the e-myth built to sell is another one that I oh, feel yeah. like is uh, very in line with this, you know, topic and just systems and how you think about where value is created in the business. So let's say, you know, somebody's listening, they're maybe a smaller builder, don't have a ton of land, or they're a remodeler, and they're running that operation. I guess if you're trying to build it to a point where you could potentially sell it either to an employee or a family member, or an outside buyer, which is maybe what I'm hearing, maybe less probable, but what is that buyer really looking for? You know, what are those high value points that they're saying, hey, this is a business that's interesting. You know, Brooks, what do you what do you think are a couple of things? I think if you're I think if you someone who's working in the business, you know, let's say they're a, an assistant manager or maybe you're to the point where they're a general manager and he's the owner, you're you're not as involved every on the day to day. They're just looking to create wealth so they can retire. And, you know, so they're trying to pursue their own dream for how do I add value, increase my net worth, increase my cash flow. So I think just if the it's finding out the desire, not everyone has that desire to own their own business. So you have to be thinking about just identifying well, who's going to be interested in buying this business based on what their goals are. And we certainly had that in our business. We identified a couple of people we thought might be interested in buying it and you know sat down and talked with them. And they're like, eh, we're not interested in owning our own business. So that, that was fine. Got that out of the way. But I think you're much you're much more likely in it being that in the smaller space, if you're under $10 million a year in gross sales, you need to be trying to bring somebody in to buy the business. And whether we talked about it could be in a child, it could be a nephew, a niece, it could be something like that who's related to you, or it could be someone who's not related, but just shows a lot of aptitude. But it could take you, I don't know, Wes, what do you think? At least five years to get someone trained up to yeah, it's certainly if you're looking to do that organically and within the organization, it definitely could take upwards of five years, I would think, depending on the aptitude of the person and, and their motivation. And, and really, how good are, and once again, I hate to keep coming back to systems, but if you have really good systems, it's going to go faster. If you don't have good systems, then you're going to do a lot of starting and stopping and you know, you're training a person to go to troubleshoot in that case, because you're going, well, yeah, you know, this is, this is how I handle this situation. I don't have a system for it, but you know, I would kind of do it this way or that way. And, and so that's really not, they're learning the business, but they're not creating a business or they're not buying something that has been created. They're just, no, you're just doing a lot of tribal knowledge, which is, Hey, here's how we do it here. Hope right. I remember how that works. And, you know, when this happens again, no, we don't have a form. I just kind of wing it. That's worthless. Yeah. 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 Well, and it's a, that can't be very appealing to the person buying it either. Or if they have an interest and they're like, oh, I'm just kind of getting this on the job, you know, knowledge past. There's no, there's no know, value there. Me. Then you can just go start it yourself. Just, you know, there's, what are you paying for? Right. Otherwise, you're just kind of, you know, we've all heard that phrase about buying a job. And lots of times that's what happens is that that person has paid money for a job, which as Brooks pointed out, they could have gone and, and done on their own. Might have been a little bit more work, but they wouldn't have had to pay, you know, this premium to keep their keep their job. 
so Wes, I guess, how are these businesses typically valued then? You know, if you, if somebody is going to go pay for buying a job or buying a company, you know, whatever, whatever it ends up being for that person, you know, what are the kinds of factors that go into that valuation? Well, I would imagine, you know, it varies pretty, pretty widely, but once again, it's always perceived value. So what's, what's the perceived value of the operation? And so I think if you can lay out, this is how our systems work here, our binders, here are financials. So the value of the company will go up if you have rock solid financial statements. If you don't have good reporting and you can't show your results over a period of time, you know, if you can show that you have a net operating income of X pretty consistently over the last five years, there's a lot more value to that than saying, hey, I do my financials once a year, I'm on a cash basis, and my net operating income spikes way up and then it goes down. And, you know, I'm running, you know, I've got my spouse's vehicle that's in the business, and you know, all these other things that just make it kind of a, a kludgy deal and, and a lot difficult, more difficult for the buyer to figure out if there's something there that they want to buy. So I think step one is make sure make sure your operation is super clean. You have super great financials. If you don't have financials, that's where I'd start. Because if you don't really have good financials, you don't even know what you're doing. You, you, you don't really know if you have something of any value. No, you don't. So if you can't, if you don't know it for yourself, how can someone else have any interest in buying that? But I would say that if, let's say that's all a given, that you've got great financials, you've got really good systems, you're able to show consistent performance, then it's going to be some factor of your either NOI or EBITDA, you know, it's going to, you know, just like any other company. So we could probably go online and do some research on, gee, what, what factor, you know, is it three times earnings? You know, what is that, that factor that you can arrive at the value? But then from there, it's going to go up or down depending on what the perception is by the buyer as to how good this operation is and how easy it is for them to step in and take over and, and see a return on their investment. If you've followed Builder Funnel for even a little bit, you know we're huge believers in the inbound marketing methodology. One of the most important phases is the client delight phase. By delighting customers, you turn them into promoters of your business and your brand. The only way to get people to go out of their way to sing your praises is to wow them throughout the process. This is something the guys over at BuildBook are helping you do. Better communication leads to better outcomes. And that means communication at every level. Daily logs, client selections, punch lists, and change orders. Today, that communication gets super fragmented between email, text, and phone calls. And inevitably, things fall through the cracks. With BuildBook, everything funnels through one simple app, keeping everyone on the same page and your clients filled with delight. No more digging through texts or random emails looking for client approvals. Just one place to see everything going on with a project. And as a reminder, they're offering a special deal to all Builder Funnel Radio listeners. Hit pause right now and text BUILDBOOK to 33777 for a free trial of the software plus 45% off the first year. All right, let's get back to the show. Yeah, Brooks, would you add anything to that in terms of how these companies tend to get valued? No, I would say that's exactly how they get valued. And so it's it now there's so much knowledge in the old days you'd have to find a you know a, a business broker and find out, okay, well, what are things trading for? What are things selling for now? 
you can figure it out and be pretty close. And so whether like Wes said, is it 3x times earnings or times EBITDA or is it five, you can find that out pretty quickly. And that can then help you value your company number one for your personal balance sheet and say, oh, well, what is my company worth? And then I have to produce that consistently year over year, which then drives your systems so that you can do that. And then you know, well, do I have something that's actually, you know, saleable or not? That makes sense. If a buyer is kind of interested, what kinds of due diligence, Brooks, are they going to be doing? I mean, you guys mentioned the financials. I'm sure they'll want to look at those, but what what else? Yeah, they probably, they I would at? say they'd look at, uh, you know, two to three years of tax returns based on, you know, to see what really, how you're really reporting. They're going to want to go through all your systems. You're probably going to end, you know, enter into like a 30 or 60 day feasibility. And then they're going to want to come in and interview your top people, find out who's going to stay, who's going to leave. This is assuming this is somebody from the outside and determine if that they really believe that cash flow is real. Um, and it, you know, Wes mentioned the fact that, you know, in your financials, you know, you would want to two or three years before you were getting ready to sell, you'd make sure that you weren't any, there was nothing in your financials that had to do like, you know, you get your spouse's car there because they're working there, but uh, you know, anything that you're doing that's allowable by tax law, but it doesn't is something that probably wouldn't be done by somebody else if they were, then you want to make sure you clean all that up ahead of time, which will improve your NOI. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think another thing you can do, well, certainly all those due diligence items, I was kind of thinking back for a second about some of the things that you'd want to have in place. You know, we talked about systems and, and your financials and so on, but I think another thing that could help your value quite a bit is is really defining what they call your you know your three uniques. So if you can't, when you sit down and think about your company, if you can't think of why your company would be of interest to a buyer over another your competitor down the street, what makes you special, then I think that's something you can start to work on and try to develop that over time. And and so you want to have that unique selling proposition of why, not just to the buyer, but also the people that are buying your services, right? So that's where you start. You go, okay, well, why are people buying my remodeling services and, and what's special about my, my company? And it can't be just, oh, well, we have high quality. Yeah, you know, we're that, really good. You know, that's, that's, yeah. that's the BS answer. And you know, that's what everyone says. Well, we have the best quality and, yeah, um, and the lowest prices. And uh, you know, so those are not the, by <laughs> the three <laughs> you know, having some unique factors. You know, we're talking about things. Well, maybe you make all your own cabinets in-house and no one else does. So that might be a unique factor. Or maybe out of the, the 10 competitors that you have, three of them make cabinets in-house and you're one of them. So you go, okay, well, that helps narrow it down as to why someone might want to do that. But maybe it's also that uh, they have a dedicated, you have a dedicated super on the job and no one else does. Or maybe that there's just one other competitor that has that, you know. So we yep, we always put one super on the job and they stay there until the job is done. Could happen. <laughs> uh, <could> happen. <laughs> or maybe you've been in business for 12 times as long as everybody else. So but by the time you come up with three things, that kind of overlap maybe with some of your competitors, not others, you can get down to this thing going, well, there's only one company in town that has been in business for 70 years and puts a super on the job and we make our own cabinets. And then that's what you sell. 
you know, and so, and that's the same thing you can say to the buyer. You can say, well, look at, we have a unique place in the marketplace and this is how we market. And this is what gives some value to our operation compared to somebody else. Those three uniques, that's a good one because a lot of, I mean, that will help you regardless. That'll help you in your marketing and in your sales pitch too, just figuring out what makes you different. And I think we all start at that natural spot of like, oh, well, quality or, you know, those vague terms. But when you really think about them, like those, those aren't what separate you. And that's what everyone's seeing on five different websites when they go browse around and look for somebody to hire. So I think that that exercise applies in a lot of different instances. Sure. Yeah, um, a good exercise just to see where do you fit in the market, you know, just every year. Like, you know, are we, we're losing sales and why is that? Because we don't have three uniques or our uniques are the same as the other 10 guys. Or, so that's a good exercise annually, I think, Wes. You guys mentioned, obviously, the financials. Do you think a buyer is going to want to go back? You mentioned two or three years. Is that pretty typical? Or are they going to, like, what's a reasonable request? And then if somebody's like, I need to see 10 years, I mean. I think uh, three to five. Three, three to five. five. Yeah. yeah. I'd make sure you're, I'd say if you want to be really ready to roll, then I'd have five years that were super clean, that were organized, easy to understand. You could show a, a track record of growth. And especially even if you show a track record of growth, even during slower times, that would be helpful. I think it's also good to make sure that your accountant has blessed your books, you know, at least annually. So when they're looking at those, you can say, yep. And this was, you know, this is reviewed by my accounting firm. You might even have your accountant prepared for like, hey, we're going to be selling the next three to five years. So this is what we're doing. And we're going to make you available to talk to the prospective buyers. And Brooks, that's a great point. I mean, so if you are thinking of selling in three years or four years, this is the time to start talking to your accountant and letting them know what you're thinking of, talking to your attorney, getting some professional input as to what they see as the pitfalls. And that can save you a ton of money long-term, especially from a tax perspective. You know, we haven't really talked about how you structure a deal or how some, some of the common ways are, but it can have huge tax implications for you if you don't talk to your accountant. Well, we could probably talk about that on the next episode, which is, you know, how to put together that team to do that because it will have a huge impact on your finances, depending if you just do it. Well, I'm just going to do this all myself versus putting a team together to get the right information at the right time. Yeah, that's a good point. And I want to shift gears real quick and go back to something we had talked about earlier when we were talking about the the Keller deal. And then we started working our way down into why there aren't any public remodeling companies, or at least ones that we're we aware of without doing, yeah. we don't, without doing some quick research. But assuming that's generally true, or there's maybe there's one or two hiding out there. Why do you think that is, Brooks? I think it's because there is no repeat business. I think that's really, I mean, in all the research I did before we, we chose not to sell a remodeling company, we just chose to wrap it up, which uh, was you know a painful way to do it after spending so many years building it up. But most of all the research we found is that it's very hard to find, I mean, very hard for a public company to see value in buying a remodeling business that does not have repeat business. So you would have to prove that, you know, over 30 years, you know, each customer came back 10 times or some, some number. And you could say, you know what, we have a book of business of 10,000 customers that we worked for for 40 years. And a certain percentage comes back every year. 
which provides you know, 50% of our NOI or something like that. If you could prove that and then prove that to investors, then you probably could be public. But again, the barriers to entry to think about just that situation with Keller, uh, what is the barrier to toll to come into this market and buy 300 lots in Colorado Springs? Huge. Because a lot of the valuations, those are deals Keller did three, four, five years ago because land development takes so long. So if toll wanted to come into the market, it would take them five years to get established if they ever made it. So I would say that uh, you know, that's what toll was buying, was that position. So a public remodeler would be buying, oh, you have this position in the Chicago market or something like that. Yeah, I think the only other thing that, I mean, it's a very interesting point, but it, the only other thing would be would be a marketing system that right. was so powerful yep. that you could show that you could create new customers in a volume sufficient. You know, it was just a great marketing and sales system. Yeah, barring that. I think there is another company. There's a company out in Seattle, and I'll do some research for the next podcast that is public. Uh, it's a startup, but they're doing it based on technology. Like mm-hmm. we've got the best technology so that the these remodeling jobs will just work great because of the technology. We'll see how that works out. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I think um, the other thing you see too, is you do see companies that are, that are trying to narrow their focus down. So, uh, Hey, we just do, you know, we do a 24 hour bathroom or we, you know, so with our system is what we're selling here. Yep. And there's a, and there's just a huge market for that particular Absolutely. product. Like, you know, people that just need, a bathroom done and they need someone to come in and do it and be gone in two days. Okay. Well then that's, that's great. So, you know, we have a, a local company here called miracle method. And yeah. so all they do is the franchise you know, that across yeah, the franchise, right. So they've franchised out. They're headquartered here in the Springs. Oh, okay. So, um, yeah. So anyway, and their, their system is, yeah, this is our technology and this is really what we're selling. And we have a marketing system and we have question is, you know, is miracle method, public no they're not no yeah. they're privately held yeah so same even that the same same brand. right yeah so in that case they're going the franchise route in order to grow yep. and expand and and the, they're selling their system just like mcdonald's did initially and eventually i guess you could then maybe take that public if you got large enough and uh, could bring in some outside investors some Which angel investors like to help you franchise or does like McDonald's yeah. or when you, know, the, you get to a point where you're like, okay, we could roll this out across the nation. We need more capital. So do we get, now we have more investment firms, hedge funds that do that kind of work before they go public. And then they eventually go public. So it's kind of two steps now. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is, I mean, I'm just thinking about you guys went over the financials, kind of the three unique the systems are a big part of it. But I mean, anybody that's buying, whether they're public or whatever, they're really looking for that predictability. It seems like, you know, something that they can go, okay, I'm, I'm investing this. I just want predictability. And then that breaks down into, okay, what do the financials look like for three years or five years? And are they stable? Are they predictable? And then what are the systems, you know, and Wes, you kind of hit the, if you have a really powerful marketing system, then, you know, that's going to add to the predictability of the sales pipeline. If you have a strong sales system, you'll close the deals. Or like you said, Brooks, you would just need a massive, massive customer base where you know, okay, like you're just going to get customers because you have such a 
longstanding base that some of them keep coming back. But really, aside from those two things, it's pretty tough to build in predictability to that marketing and sales pipeline, I would imagine. That'd be interesting to take that franchise idea, which is, let's look at that for next time is, you know, are there any remodeling franchises? Like that's kind of an interesting question because people are, like you said, Spence, people are looking for a cash flow. So if someone's going to buy a business, they're probably coming, they've worked somewhere else, maybe 20 years. And they're like, you know what? I've got this nest egg. I want to invest it and try to grow it bigger before I retire. And that's usually someone who's buying a business. So they, let's say they've got 500 grand and they're going to, where, where can they invest it to grow it? And so that's why a lot of people look at franchises and say, well, here's a way I can, you know, start out. I can become a Subway franchisee, grow it. I can get three or four stores. So think of it that way and say, well, why would someone invest in my business versus investing in a franchise? Because they may not have any knowledge of construction. If they're coming from, and as an outside buyer, they're like, well, I could buy a construction business. I could buy a sandwich sub shop. I could buy a miracle method. They're not as tuned into the product as much as you know we might be which is hey we're remodelers we're builders that's yeah i think yeah if you think but that's a good way to look at it as an investment so you're selling an investment if you think of that as people have lots and lots of different opportunities to invest in all sorts of different things they can invest in the stock market they can buy a business they can but they're all investments and that return that they're looking at that's going to be all predicated on the predictability that we were talking yep. about so, you know, that, that's why when you go down and put your money in a savings account at a bank, you make a quarter of a percent because you know your money is totally safe and it's very predictable and you don't make a return. Um, <laughs> it's safe. So it's, it's safe, yeah, it's right? Safe, so, yeah. But if you're looking for those higher returns, it's that risk reward. So they're always looking at, well, how safe is this, this investment or this business that I'm buying? You know, how safe is my initial investment? And then... How high is that return that I can possibly get by going to the trouble and the headache of operating this this business? Because it is high risk. I, I think back, you know, there's a a small print shop here in town, you know, several decades ago, where the couple that owned it decided to exit, and they sold it to a gentleman who came from totally different industry, you know, high tech, and he bought he bought a print shop. And I don't think there was any systems or anything else, you know, but he's like, oh, I want to get out of high tech and I want to, you know, control my own destiny, destiny. And he, and that business lasted about two years. Yeah. I because there was no, there was nothing there. He thought there was more predictability and more systems, I guess, you know, who knows for sure. But he thought that that was a worthwhile investment based on what he thought he could get back out of that. And it didn't turn out to be that. It turned out to be a high risk high risk for that investment. Let's plan on digging in next week to the the team that you need to put together. And then we can, we'll bring a little more research for you guys on uh, public companies, if there are any out there in the remodeling space and, and maybe a follow up on that. But Brooks, any, any final thoughts for our listeners on this concept of building your business to sell? I think it's, uh, it's all about the systems. Wes? Yeah, I agree. If there's one takeaway, I think, from this, this conversation is build a system or an interlocking set of systems that create great value. You know, you're doing that one plus one equals three thing. 
Cool. Well, good advice. And uh, thanks everybody for listening. We'll do a follow-up next week on uh, the team that you need to build to put something like this together, whether you end up selling or not, but it'll help you create a lot more value within your own business. And then we'll do some digging on uh, public companies and see what we find out. We'll We'll bring it back to you. Yeah. Stay tuned. Thanks guys. We'll see you next week here on Building a Family Business on Builder Funnel Radio. Mm -hmm.